Good morning. This is Pastor Mike Letterman with ChristLives.org. Today we continue our series of lessons in the final countdown from the book of Revelation, chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14 is an interesting chapter. In its verses, God takes care of a lot of what I would call tribulation housekeeping. If you look at verses 1 through 5, the Lord shows us the fate of the 144,000. If you'll remember, the 144,000 are saved Jewish preachers who travel the world preaching the gospel of grace. These men are divinely sealed and they are protected as they carried out their ministry. When their time is completed, the Antichrist is allowed to take their lives, but verses 1 through 5 picture them back home in heaven in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 14 through 20 speak about the horrific battle of Armageddon that will occur at the end of the tribulation. We will consider that text in our next study. Today we're going to focus our attention on verses 6 through 13. See, these passages speak about the future that awaits two distinct classes of people. They deal with the future of the lost sinner, and they also speak to the future of the faithful saint. While these verses speak about future events, they are still relevant to us today. Every person in the sound of my voice will reach the end of your earthly journey someday. There will be an end of the road for each of us. We don't like to think about it, but we know we need to know what is coming so that we can be properly prepared for that hour. You see, when the end comes, you and I need to be ready. When the end comes, there will be no more time to prepare. And when the end comes, how we leave this world is how we will spend eternity. You see, in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 3, Solomon said, If the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. The same is true about your life and mine. However the end finds us, whether saved or lost, is how eternity will preserve us. We must be ready. So today let's consider these verses which clearly declare what the end holds for both the tribulation sinner and the tribulation saint. I want to preach on the thought, when the end comes, sinner or saint. Let's read from, read from God's word. Three angels... Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. A second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or in their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. 
So in verses 6 through 7, let's look at this final proclamation. These verses depict an angelic messenger flying above the earth, proclaiming the everlasting gospel. This angel declares the same message that has been preached by Paul, Peter, John, and the rest of the apostles. It is the same message preached by the true church for the last 2,000 years. The message this angel delivers is a message of salvation through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Romans chapter 1 verse 16. It's a simple message. Romans chapter 10 verse 9. It's an available message. Romans 10 verse 13. It's a message of love. John 3.16. Of hope. John 6.37. Of eternal salvation. John 6.47 and John 10.28. And of peace with God. Romans 5.10. It's the same message that was proclaimed in Eden, Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. It's pictured in the law and purchased on Calvary, John 19, verse 30. It is a message as fresh as the need of today, yet is older than creation, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, and Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. It is the only message that will save the human soul from the wrath of God and an eternity in hell, John 14, verses 1 through 6, Acts 4, verse 12. Yes, it's a message that has been and will be rejected by sinners until the end of time. This message has been preached for 2,000 years. It has been ignored by most of those that have heard it. It is still being ignored today. It will be ignored during the dark days of the tribulation. Many people will be saved. Thank God for that. But many, many more will be lost. You see, the people in tribulation will refuse to hear the 144,000 evangelists. They will refuse the preaching of the two witnesses from chapter 11 of Revelation. The world will even rejoice when they're dead and gone. The world will refuse the steadfast, faithful testimony of the tribulation saints. The world will be unmoved by their love for Jesus, their testimony, and even by their blood when they are martyred for their failure to worship the beast. The world will turn a deaf ear to all human efforts to bring them to Jesus. In a final effort to reach them, God will entrust the gospel to an angel. He will preach the message to a universal audience. He will call all people everywhere to flee the wrath to come. He will invite all people to come to Jesus for salvation. He will call them to refuse the Antichrist and to embrace the true Christ. It will be a powerful proclamation by a powerful preacher, but the world will remain defiant in their rejection of the gospel. The salvation offered through the blood of Jesus is humanity's only hope. It is their last hope. If Jesus is rejected, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 26 says, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. You see, when the end comes, it will be too late to believe the gospel. Today is the day of salvation. If you never believed the gospel and accepted Jesus as your Savior, you need to do that today because one day it will forever be too late. A second angel appears and pronounces God's final judgment on Babylon. You may notice the angel says, It is fallen twice. It is fallen twice. This indicates that Babylon's judgment is absolutely certain. We will consider Babylon in greater detail when I preach on Revelation chapter 17 and 18. 
Today, we will try to understand why this city, above all others, is singled out for a special pronouncement of judgment. You see, Babylon is more than a city. Babylon is a philosophy. Babylon represents everything the world is. Babylon represents everything that stands opposed to God and his perfect will. Babylon represents a system of unbelief. In Genesis chapter 10, verses 8 through 10, we're introduced to the descendants of a man called Cush. One of his sons was named Nimrod. Nimrod founded the city of Babel. Verse 10, it was here that mankind rebelled against the Lord and attempted to build the Tower of Babel. Look at Genesis 11. Sorry. This tower was a place dedicated to the worship of the zodiac and the heavenly bodies. Babel was one of the first centers of false idolatry worship in this world, and Nimrod was the ringleader. He's called a mighty hunter in Genesis chapter 10, verse 9. The phrase mighty hunter has been interpreted by some as a mighty hunter of souls. In other words, some scholars believe that Nimrod was the father of a religious system that was designed to seduce men and turn them away from the one true God. You know what? I love those three words. One true God. There is only one. Thus, when they build their tower, dedicated to the worship of idols and heavenly bodies, God intervened and confused their languages. But that did not destroy the seeds of false religion that had been planted in the hearts of men. People left Babel and carried their false doctrines with them around the world. Babel later became Babylon. It was a capital. It was the cap. It was the city that was the capital of false religion and idolatry. It represents everything in this world that stands opposed to Christ. In the tribulation, it speaks of the economic and religious kingdom of the Antichrist. You see, in this verse, Babylon is pictured as a harlot. She is seen seducing the foolish sinners of this world. She has led them away from God with her lies, and she is about to pay a terrible price. The judgment of God is coming upon her and her heresies, and none can stay the hand of that judgment. The philosophy behind all of mankind's religious heresies and rebellion against God will be destroyed. Their foundation will be shattered by the wrath of God. Then a third angel appears on the scene. He preaches a message, message of judgment to all those who receive the mark of the beast and who worship the beast. This angel reveals what will happen to all those who refuse to receive the gospel of salvation through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This angel preaches a fearful message, but it's one that we need to take note of today. We're told in verse 10, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone, and in the presence of the holy angels, and in the presence of the Lamb. What a horrible picture. Let's dissect this verse a little bit more, one phrase at a time. The wine of the wrath of God. Here the word wrath translates the word thumos, which means an explosion of wrath, a sudden outburst, a passionate display of anger. You see, when God's wrath is poured out on this world, it will be a time of sudden judgment from which there will be no escape. It will be poured without mixture. When the wrath of God comes on this world, it will very, be very pure and undiluted. Sinners and Satan have never experienced the full undiluted fury of an offended God, but they will one day. Through the Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31. Let's look at the cup of his indignation. 
The word indignation translates the other New Testament word that is often translated as wrath. The word speaks of a slow, rising anger. It's used to refer to the sap rising in a tree. It's a picture of water rising above a dam until the pressure of the water becomes too great and the dam bursts. It's the image of a person holding back their anger, becoming red-faced until they finally explode in wrath. It's similar to the old Pastor Mike that when faced with evil and deceit used to start counting to ten and only got to three before righteous anger exploded. And when it did, you didn't want to be anywhere around me when the mic bomb did explode. Wrong has always been a hard pill for me to swallow. It still is. However, God's wrath is just and justified. One day the dam of God's wrath will burst and all those who are outside of a relationship with Jesus are going to be doomed. In the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb, the heavenly host and the Lamb of God will stand as a constant reminder to the lost sinner that they did not have to arrive at this horrible place. They would have been saved if they had just turned to Jesus Christ by faith. Most horribly of all, we're given a glimpse of the horrors that await the lost sinner in the flames of hell. You see, verse 11 is very clear. Hell is a place of unending, unimaginable torment for the lost sinner. Do you remember the first lesson I preached in this series, the final countdown? Hell is real. When you die without Jesus, you will go to hell. And once there, you will never know one second of rest or relief. You will go to a place where you will never die, but you will suffer throughout all eternity as you endure the wrath of God in hell. You see, it didn't have to end this way for this people. It doesn't have to end that way for you. You see, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he bore our sins on his body. You see, our Savior took our sins to the cross. Can you imagine that terrible weight? Jesus took the sins of all mankind, all mankind, from the beginning with Adam and Eve until the end when his judgment is complete. He took all those to the cross, and he took them, and they died with him. The judgment was so complete that Jesus even cried out in anguish. Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. That cry was also a proclamation and a direct quote from the opening verse from Psalm 22. You see, the Old Testament is not simply some piece of history that's meant to be separated from the rest of the Bible with a big red bow as if to say, okay, we are done with that now. No, we're not under the old law. I cannot even say that all the Old Testament is fulfilled. If you think about it, I think it is. For a quick view, look at the book of Isaiah. This is a quick one. There are others. It points straight to the book of Revelation. Read the Old Testament. It points straight to the New Testament and to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now that we've explored what will happen to the sinner, let's look at what the end holds for the saint. As we looked at verses 6 through 11, we listened as angels announced the fact that God had pronounced a sentence of damnation on this world system and all those who refused to believe the gospel message. These verses tell us about a horrible place called hell where those lost will suffer in the flames of God's wrath for all eternity. This is a sad, horrible picture of the future that awaits every person who lives and dies outside of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. What a contrast there is when we come to verse 12. See, we leave the wrath and judgment of verses 6 through 11. We are exposed to the sweet fragrance of God's grace. 
having declared his judgment against the wicked, God now demonstrates his grace toward the righteous. Having showed us the wicked, God now casts a spotlight on his faithful remnant. He says, you have seen the wicked ones. Now take a look at my children. These verses show us what will happen to the saints of God when they leave this world. We have seen the hellish side of death. Now let's examine the heavenly side of death. What waits on the sinner is ghoulish. What waits on the saint is glorious. In verse 12, there's a proclamation of their faithfulness. The word patience literally means steadfast endurance. It is a picture of a person who cannot be swayed from his simple faith in and devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. In spite of the horrors of the tribulations period and the threats of the Antichrist, these believers have remained faithful to their Lord. They refuse to bow to this world. They refuse to give their worship to the devil. They have endured every attack and every affliction with the confident knowledge that their God was executing an eternal plan. You see, they were faithful even unto the death, knowing that in the end, their faith would be vindicated and Satan and his kingdom would be judged. These people knew that they were part of the victorious people, even while they suffered. That's a lesson we would do well to learn in our day. This world and the devil are always trying to get us to compromise. There is a constant barrage designed to cause us to abandon God and the way of righteousness. You see, the devil would love nothing better than for us to get our eyes off Jesus and his will for our lives and our church. He would love for us to lower our standards as our politicians continue to press America to do today. They want us to relax our hold on our convictions and abandon the way of righteousness in these days. I mean, let's face it. After all, it would be easier. It would cause the church to be more accepted in the community. It probably takes some of the pressure off the pastor. The only problem is that it would offend God and it would cause him to remove his power from our midst as he has in countless other churches. The world might not appreciate your efforts for the Lord, but God does. He sees every sacrifice for his name and he will reward his people in due time. The principles to be gleaned from the judgment of the nations are clearly demonstrated in Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 through 40. These people have demonstrated their faithfulness to the Lord in two ways. They kept his commandments and they kept the faith. By keeping the faith, these men had refused to deny Jesus. You see, they maintained their faith in him, even when doing so was costly. Many in the tribulation will go to their deaths rather than deny the Lord Jesus. I mean, how much easier would it be for them to just deny him with their lips, even as they embrace him in their hearts? But you see, they're not hypocrites. They will not deny him, even though it will cost them everything. By refusing to worship the Antichrist, they will suffer greatly. They will not be able to buy or sell. They will be hunted and hounded and executed for their allegiance to Jesus. Still, they will remain faithful. 
You see, these suffering saints set a shining example for those of us living in these days. As we know, the trend in churches and among church people in our day is to become more like the world. That's an easy path to follow. It gains you favor with the world and helps you grow in numbers. God bless me with a good education. A PhD and an MBA will teach you many things. Not the least of these is the power of the written world, word and the power of numbers. You can use numbers to demonstrate almost anything you want. And in our society, numbers are used to praise and to punish. When you compromise the word of God and water down the gospel message, you forfeit the presence and power of God. You might have a full house, huge crowds, and mountains of cash, but if there is no power and touch of God, these things amount to less than nothing. I'd rather have Jesus. And then from a worldly point of view, these people gave up a lot for their faith in Jesus Christ. They suffered, they starved, and they endured hardships that we can't even begin to imagine. You see, men watched their wives and children starve to death. Mothers watched their children suffer. What did it profit them? What payoff was there in such suffering and pain? I can tell you that many years ago, in a place far away from the United States, I saw a lot of this type of suffering. I saw little children taken away into the city for God knows what. I heard of parents taking their babies to the, to the swamp and drowning them there because it was another mouth to feed. I saw a lot of injustice. I saw a lot of pain. I saw a lot of death. But you know, here's the payoff. God is a great banker. If you are saved, he has already given you part of your payoff, which you did not deserve and could never earn. He gave it to you while you still walked this earth. The last part of that payoff comes when you stand before him in heaven. First, we're told these people who will die in and for Jesus are blessed. This word has the idea of being happy. It means to be supremely blessed, fortunate, or well off. The idea here is that those who die in the Lord leave a harsh, unfriendly world for a better place, the same as those children and people that I saw far away from here when I was very young. They left this world for a better place with the Lord Jesus. And we've often heard it said that when a believer dies, well, they're better off. It is so true. Paul knew this truth. Look at Philemon chapter 1, verse 23. Look at 2 Timothy, uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. Death for the child of God is not the horrible mon monster that we have made it out to be. It is nothing more than a doorway that allows us to step out of time and into eternity. It's a portal that allows us to leave this land of death and step in that land of life. Death for the child of God is not a grinning devil. It is a smiling friend that comes to usher us home into the waiting arms of our Savior. See, there's no comparison between what we have in this world and what will be ours when we get home to glory. See, this verse touches on two of the blessings that will hold a special importance for those saints living through the horrors of the tribulation. Let's look at this. They will rest from their labors. These people have labored for Jesus in a difficult day, and now they're going home to rest. The word labor does not refer to the act of working, but to the weariness that comes from working. 
The word literally means a beating, grief, sorrow, trouble. The idea here is of the soldier who has fought in the campaigns and battles and has grown weary. I can relate. At the age of 22, I learned about the dark side of life as I peered through my Redfield or Leopold rifle scope on my highly modified M40A1 sniper rifle within a 300 Winchester Magnum. Like the gospel, that one had the power to reach out and touch someone. Yeah, I saw the darker sides of life. But I also saw men come to Jesus in the field. These saints gave their all for Jesus here on the earth, and all they got in return was the weariness of the flesh, the grief, and the sorrow. Now they can go into the presence of the Lord to rest. You see, here the word rest means to cease from labor in order to recover and collect strength. It speaks of being in a state of refreshment. This is weariness from the work, work of God. God's faithful servants get tired, but there's coming a day of rest and refreshment. It's time to get weary in the service of the Lord. Take preaching, for instance. Someone has determined that one hour of preaching is equivalent to stress and physical demand to working at hard manual labor for half a day, and it's equal to a full day's work. Yeah, preaching may tire me out, but it also exhilarates me. Many of you are weary in the battle today. It gets hard to live for Jesus in a world that does not care about him. It's hard to be holy in a godless world. It makes you weary. Let me encourage you, precious saint of God, there is coming a day of rest. One day we will step out of this world and, and we will enter his presence. And when we arrive there, we will have laid aside the burdens, cares, and labor of this life. We will be able to find refreshment in his presence. By the way, he knows how to refresh us here too. He can give you strength sufficient for your days. As said in Deuteronomy chapter 33 verse 25, Therefore let us carry on in spite of the weariness that we feel from time to time. Let us not come to that place where we throw up our hands and say, What's the use? God, help us look beyond this hard hour and see a day that we can stand complete in your presence. They will be rewarded for their labors. We are told that their works do follow them. In other words, their labor for the Lord in that dark day was not in vain. God saw everything that they did for his glory, and he rewards them for it. That is how it will be for the children of God one day. We will stand in his presence, and he will reward us for the things he allowed us to do for his glory. I thank God every day he lets me, every Sunday he lets me get up here and speak his word. He has saved us by his grace. He gave us his spirit. Anything we've ever done for him has been because he enabled us to do it. Yes, he's going to reward us. Isn't that amazing? But I know what we will do with those rewards. We will cast them at his feet and we will praise him for his grace in salvation and in service. You know, we sing what a day that will be and it will be a glorious day when we leave this world to go to our reward. You see, the contrast in the destinations of the lost and the saved could not be more different. Those who reject Jesus Christ will spend eternity apart from his presence in hell. Those who receive him will joy an eternity spent in his presence in heaven. Five seconds after you die, you will already be where you're going to spend eternity. Look at your heart right now. Where would you go if you died within the hour? Would you go to heaven? Would you go to hell? Are you content with the place you're headed right now? So would you like to be saved? You can be if you come to Jesus. 
Here's his promise to you in, in John chapter 6, verse 47. If you'll come to him, he will amaze you at what he will do in you and for you while you're here. Are you saved? If so, you should praise him right now for what you have here and what you will enjoy there. Are you faithfully serving Jesus today? Or have you allowed coldness and compromise to enter into your heart? Has God spoken to you through this message? If so, I would ask you to come as he calls. See, lost friends, I want you to know that you're walking a very dangerous path today. You're playing Russian roulette with a fully loaded gun, and one day you're going to lose everything. The only reason you're not in hell today is through the good grace of a merciful God. At any moment, he could sever the golden thread of your life, and you could plunge into a Christless eternity where you would be lost forever. Please don't let this happen. Here again is the promise and the call of the gospel. Come to Jesus and be saved. Come before it's too late. For one day, my brothers and sisters, it will be too late. If you would, please bow your head with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the grace of your message today, Lord. I thank you for the blessings that you have given to all of us in the sound of my voice. I thank you for your tender mercy. I thank you for the fact that you allow this world to continue to go on and on and on, writhing under, this, under the terrible power of sin, but you knowing that tomorrow another could be saved. That's a father's love. God, I ask you to be with those that have never been saved, never experienced the, the onpouring of the Holy Spirit. Father, I ask you to be with them. Help them make a decision for you today, O oh God. And those of that, that are out there that have been saved, but maybe they haven't been living a Christian life, Father, I ask you to touch their hearts as well. There's two people we discuss in our lesson today, Father. The sinner and the saint. Father, we're all sinners. Help us to be saints. God, I love you. I praise your name, and I thank you for your son, Jesus. For it's in his name I pray, O oh God. Amen. You know, if any of you made a decision today, I would like very much to know about it. If you would, please send a message to ministry at christ-lives.org or visit www.christ-lives.org and leave a message on our contact page. I thank you for your time. I thank you for listening today. And uh, before I forget, Maita and Anisu, may God bless you and keep you in Zimbabwe. Amen.